Synchronicity will take you along. And here's your host, Travis William Skink Mateer. Okay, that's right. I am your host, Travis Mateer, and welcome to another episode of Zoomcron. This will be episode 25. Um, and it's an interview I've been kind of sitting on for a bit. Um, I, an interview I did with Mystic Mark, I think back in February. I'll have to double check the exact date. Um, but Mark did some excellent sort of work with the, with the audio file. Um, so he recorded it and then gave me access to it a bit later because I am a part of the Alt Media United Collective. That's right. Mystic Mark has been doing some fantastic work getting podcasters like myself um, more more organized within a, a sort of larger collective structure. Um, Mark has done some work with other synchro mystics like Christopher Knowles and especially Michael Wan, um, who's kind of taken a little bit of a step back, but um, is still is still out there kicking, doing his thing in the Susquehanna region of America. Um, and so I've really, really loved chatting with Mark. Um, Mark is one of the, the first sort of people to open me up to the larger podcasting world by getting me um, on the interview docket with Mr. Sam Tripoli. Um, so we discussed that. We also discussed something um, that kind of set Mark on his path a bit. And it was really nice this morning as I, as I couldn't sleep um, to actually have a little synchronicity, very appropriate since this is an interview with a synchromistic you will soon be listening to after I stop rambling. But the, the synchronicity I experienced at like 1 a.m. this morning is not being able to sleep. And I was actually on the on my floor doing some exercises, and there was a stack of books there. Um, and I, I just have so many books. I've been ordering books like a crazy person. Um, but this one was on a, like a lower stack I hadn't seen for a while. And it's by Manly P. Hall. It's called The Ways of the Lonely Ones. I'm not going to read a big excerpt. I'm not going to read any of it, actually. But uh, the last story is called The Last of the Shamans, and it's an American Indian allegory. It's, I read it, you know... 1.30 in the morning and uh, was really blown away by the story and it absolutely got me thinking about an in, a, a individual that Mark met back on the East Coast back when he was a little bit younger, um, looking at the college scene, um, hanging out in sort of in proximity to the the uh, Skull and Bones actually, like the, the their little thing, their headquarters, their clubhouse, you know, little clubhouse for those guys. Um, so you'll have to listen to the interviews so Mark can, can get into the details of that experience, that relationship, that beginning of the mystery of synchronicity. Yes, yes. So that will be that will be coming up um, next week, next Tuesday. I don't know if I will be able to, to get an episode out. Um, March is going to be a very interesting month. It already started off quite interesting, um, but it's, I think, going to get even more interesting. Um, I spent the last couple episodes of this podcast doing some school board stuff, and then I threw out an interview also that I'd been sort of, sort of sitting on for a while <clears throat> last week with Greg Sestero. With, uh, he's a filmmaker, um, has a movie coming out called Miracle Valley that he was screening here in Missoula, and has also been involved with one of the worst movies ever made, allegedly, called The Room. 
Um, it was referred to as, what was it, the Citizen Kane of bad movies. And so Greg wrote a memoir about that. And um, that was the interview that I was able to put out last week. So um, and as part of this Alt Media United Collective, I was actually just on Telegram talking to someone, Darren Grimes, who I'm very interested in getting on. Darren Grimes and Grimerica is a fantastic podcast. Um, excellent. You got to check it out. And, you know, they're they're sort of in our region, in our neck of the woods. And so as I look at writing some fiction, I actually have a, a little story I'm trying to work on that I'm hoping I'm going to get some time here in the next couple of weeks to work on. And it's it's a it's a future uh, sort of a future story about Missoula and the new Cascadian army in the future that now runs most of the Northwest. The new Cascadian army actually invades Montana from the Bitterroot Valley. Um, and their troops right now in my story are stationed at the Lolo, um, the, you know, Lewis and Clark rest area, the travelers rest area. And they're going to, they're about to invade. They're about to make an incursion into the Missoula Valley. Um, and our cyborg mayor, Mayor John Engen, who beat his pancreatic cancer, that's an actual diagnosis he received. Um, but in my story, he's going to beat that and he's going to truly become the first immortal mayor of America. And um, his cyborg abilities will be tested, though, um, because in trying to fight off the new Cascading Army, he has to come to terms with the fact that the University District neighborhood um, and the Rattlesnake neighborhood are full of a bunch of wimps, essentially. And so what happens is um, our cyborg leader decides to make a, a kind of risky calculation, and he, he gives a bunch of um, weapons and meth to the West Broadway gang that really sort of runs that that transportation corridor. And so knowing that they're going to be more effective fighters, um, he gives the weapons and the meth to the most dangerous elements within the Missoula Valley community and then sends them off to fight the new Cascading Army. Are you starting to get a sense that this might be an allegory of sorts? Yeah, maybe. Maybe so. So that's going to be that. We'll see if I can get that out. I say that about uh, that a lot sometimes. Another project I'm working on, my journey tuning. You know, I announced this in my in my podcast episode last week, but I'm still trying to upload this video. I have it all done. I've removed a few images in consideration of great leader who is facing a pancreatic cancer diagnosis, but will still, you know, go forward as leader, as great leader. And that I'm having trouble getting it uploaded to Vimeo. So I'm not sure why that might be the case, but I'm going to try and get that out. Maybe it might have to be next week. Um, or Saturday. We'll see. I'm not sure. We'll see how things go. Um, also, uh, I had a great post that I put up this morning. It's one of those things where I wake up, like I said, couldn't read or couldn't read, couldn't sleep. So I read that story uh, by Man Manly P. Hall. And then I wrote a little uh, blog post in the wee hours about the World Central Kitchen and how $9,000 was raised locally um, because Americans who don't understand geopolitics, which I think is a pretty big majority of, of Americans, especially the, the caring liberal Americans um, who are all about the blue and gold right now, um, and the pregnant lady in the maternity war that got bombed. Um, they don't understand that the world is run just by like cartel powers. Um, Russia is a, like a cartel gangster power. America is a cartel gangster power. So we got some gangster cartel people fighting over the breadbasket of Europe um, over like energy essentially in like, you know, whether or not Germany is going to get hooked up with like pipelines and shit. And so um, a huge section of this country has been dragged into the, the very effective propaganda. And it's just fucking hilarious because you have nine thousand dollars raised locally and it went to the world central kitchen. And there's actually connections with the world central kitchen they had. They worked with ice and some people in Brooklyn got upset with that. Um, 
uh, because they go around these, this, this organization that actually has a board member, Dave Egger, who came out to Missoula back in 2011. And this, this is all in the post. So maybe I'll try and include that in the, in the link. Show link. Link in the show notes. That's what it is. Okay. All right. I think that is enough of me rambling. Let's get to the interview with Mystic Mark. My family thinks I'm crazy. That's his podcast. And the Alt Media United Collective, which has lots of kick-ass people doing kick-ass podcast work like me. So stay tuned. Good things coming. Thanks for listening. Adios for now. Okay. I, I think I am recording a conversation. I'm not sure. Am I recording a conversation? Is there <laughs> someone recording. on the other end of the line? Is there yes. someone there? Hello. Yes, Mystic Mark, how is it going? Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm very happy to to have you, Mystic Mark. Um, Mark, you. Before we get into things um, and and kind of get this conversation going, um, I just want to to give you some some thanks and props for conversations I am continuing to listen to even in the period of the last five days since we last tried to kind of have this conversation and, and stuff wasn't able to work out. Right. Um, you know, I have since listened to Christopher Knowles do his Laurel Canyon stream, which I know you were a part of because he said, Oh, there's that. Um, my family thinks I'm crazy guy. <laughs> you were watching uh, that too. Well, I, I listened to the stream afterwards. I wasn't okay, able to, cool. to, to hit it live, but I am so glad. Um, and Christopher Knowles is someone that I want to speak with you about um, because we both identify, self-identify as synchromistics. Um, you are doing an amazing job with just all kinds of content, and you're working and collaborating with Michael Wan, a synchromistic that, uh, that I basically pay to get an interview with um, in my highly manipulative manner when I really want to try and speak with someone. I'm like, what can I do? And, and then you helped me get on an interview with Sam Tripoli in the tinfoil hat, and I just had this crazy synchronicity on Saturday I want to get into at some point. But before we get into all that, I'm interviewing you and I want you to tell the audience that listens to my podcast what you're up to, kind of how you got started. Um, just a little little background to get us going. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me. And like you mentioned, um, I helped with that. I, I helped because I am paid by Sam Tripoli to find interesting folks like yourself. So you got really, a gig. You got a paying gig. Yeah, really no <laughs> need to thank me because, you know, it, really I should thank you because it's really, Aww. you know, interesting folks like you that help me have the job that I do, which, you know, it's a whole synchronistic story. Uh, folks yeah. can hear every detail if they tune into the show, but the quick kind <laughs> of, uh, you know, rundown is, I was a listener of Tinfoil Hat, Higher Side Chats, Grand America Show, really kind of taking uh, huge parts of my day, if not my whole day, to listen to podcasts. I was a delivery guy. I, delivery, I got, that's right. You were working Amazon, right? Yeah. Well, I, was, yeah. I wasn't paid by Amazon, but I worked through their warehouse, uh, and I gotcha. was a delivery guy. And, you know, it was, it was a good job in the sense that I was able to monopolize all my free time or my work time to do what I enjoyed, which is listen and learn. So I've been doing this listening and learning thing for a decade now. Only yeah. half of that podcasting was in the picture, but you know, Sam was kind enough to give me an opportunity to be on his Patreon show, which led to another and another and another. And then eventually he had the spiritual podcast which he invited me on and that oh, was yeah. kind I listened of to you on that that was great zero that's a fantastic that was a fantastic one he did with thank you. you thank you yeah. yeah so i was on episode three episode uh 27 episode 94 
and um, episode 129 and episode 128, I think. I well, I might be off on the numbers, but I've been I've, I'm the most returning guest on Zero. Um, you and Tripoli are both insanely prolific. The amount of content um, that you guys both put out collectively um, is probably enough for like five or six people. So I'm I'm pretty impressed. I well, put out it's a easy, weekly podcast. It's, it's easy to get on the show that many times when you book the guests. So, <laughs> but uh, insider, but, yeah, but that's not the same. The same isn't true for Tinfoil. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I. I just have too much uh, humility to go and book myself on that show. Uh, it's really only when Z- Sam asks me to be on that I'll be on that show. Um, but I, I, yeah, I, you know, had an opportunity to be on Sam's spiritual podcast, and he was really impressed with the recommendations I gave him afterwards for who he should have on the show next. And he was like, "Hey, why don't I just pay you?" You know, and at first it was like, you know, I'll pay you twenty bucks per guest you get me. And, I, you know, I got him so many interesting folks that he's like, all right, I need to bring this guy into my team. So that was kind of like my uh, unwitting, uh, like, resume. I didn't realize that's what I was creating there <laughs> for Sam. But, yeah, awesome. and, and that kind of came with starting my own podcast, which I already played around with it uh, in the sense of, like, having a YouTube show and, like, editing stuff. And, you know, I grew up with the Internet generation so like i remember in middle school some of my friends and i would get together and this kid had a camera so he would make like all kinds of youtube videos on his youtube channel and that's why your production uh, sounds so so high quality okay <laughs> well you know i definitely recommend people invest uh in the right equipment i that helps but um no I, i've just i've always been interested in this kind of thing in the sense of uh, it's just something that kind of was born in uh, our era, my era at least, yeah, of content yeah. creating. It's kind of like uh, the next the next phase of it, if you will, coming into the podcasting phase. It's kind of, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's the first time where you can put content out like this and it's totally DIY, Agreed. no middleman. and it's really cool to for me to be able to bring my like black sheep kind of perspective <laughs> into this because for a long time it didn't really feel like my interests meshed with what people were doing creatively. Like I, I've yeah. always enjoyed being creative, but I never found the outlet. And what's cool about podcasting is now that I am in a community of more like-minded folks, I'm starting to branch out and do those things that I had only really kind of gleamed when I had less ability. Uh, and like you mentioned, you know, collaborating with Michael Wan, he's somebody who kind of pushed me to step out of the podcasting boundaries because yeah, I went alongside uh, and filmed one of his tours. And you know, oh, if really? you go and if you go on his YouTube channel. You can see one of the videos where he's not holding the camera and the camera is uh, moving. That's me. That's you. Oh, <laughs> so, interesting. Yeah, that. so that was like a fun experience that my girlfriend uh, joined me. We kind of went down this summer and we met Ross Ben in Philadelphia and then we spent some time hanging out with Michael Wan in Pennsylvania. And it had been my yeah. third time visiting Mike, but, uh, you know, my point is, is around that same time, Mike had been talking about how content creation is like the new currency. 
And mm-hmm. as much as I think that statement can be reinterpreted in a lot of ways that probably don't have anything to do with what Mike actually means, I took that and rolled it into, you know, really something that I've always tried to do, which is continue this renegade trajectory. You know, when I dropped out of community college, it wasn't just because I was unhappy with the system. It was because I was unhappy with the system and I was going to figure out why. And I knew that if I went along with the system and got a job in the system, it wasn't going to help me for whatever reason. Yeah. So I got, you know, blue collar jobs in between here and there, probably, you know, I don't know if you can call working at a grocery store, even blue collar anymore, but you know, I, I've, I worked those kind of jobs for the past decade since school and uh, dropping out of school and every job I've gotten has synchronistically led me to the next one. And I didn't really realize that's what was happening. I kind of thought of it as like, Oh, this is how learning works. Like, cause you know, I would do a job that would give me a certain skill. And then that skill, I would notice how that skill would bleed into the next job. And, and it was always kind of a coincidence or happenstance that I found a job. It was usually through meeting a certain person who was like, Oh yeah, I can get you a job here. And, and that, you know, got me in for a few years until I moseyed on to the next thing. Um, and now knowing someone like Michael Wan or Sam Tripoli, you know, I'm, able to see with really uh, awe how strong this manifestation can be when your heart is set in the right uh, direction. Because so so yes. many hours were spent listening to Sam Tripoli's show and listening to uh, the many different podcasts that had Mike as a guest. And mm-hmm. I just, you know, yep. I felt a connection there and I didn't understand really why other than, you know, being a fan, I think a lot of people feel a connection to the things that they're uh, a fan of, but for whatever reason, I was prepared to do what I'm doing for Sam and that kind of instinct, I was guided to uh, follow those instincts in that direction. Yes, 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 yes. <clears throat> guided. Um, oh man, there's, there's so much I want to jump on, on, on what you're saying, but, um, because I think there is something more going on and this is where our, our interest in synchronicities kind of comes in because for, for people like you, you, I think the reason why Sam identified you being so good at what you were doing is you have a potential attractant, um, amplification, power with synchronicities. And I'll explain what I'm talking about because um, now that you are helping people like me get my voice out there to a broader audience on Saturday. So, and this is why our first attempt at a conversation, like for a couple of reasons probably like happened because there was more we needed to share and there was more that needed to happen. Okay. Um, I had this guy that reached out to me on Facebook and I finally started reaching back to him um, on Saturday because he was going to have a, a movie playing. And it wasn't until about a half an hour before he was supposed to come in physically to my studio that I looked him up. I did my due diligence and I was like, oh, oh this, this guy's a real filmmaker. Uh, oh, what, wait, what? He, oh, shit. Like, how, how did he find he heard a podcast interview I did? Oh, my goodness. So. Um, so the guy that was in the what's been called the Citizen Kane of bad movies, The Room, and then wrote a memoir called The Disaster Artist that became a movie with James Franco. He was, <clears throat> excuse me, he was listening to the Sam Tripoli interview I did um, and 
reached out to me because he was showing his new movie, uh, Miracle Valley at the Roxy. And it's just so funny because he was listening to the podcast in Pasadena. And after we recorded the conversation, I showed him my shirt. I was wearing my Jack Parsons t-shirt. He's, and that's when he told me he listened to it in Pasadena. I'm like, well, of course, this world and this universe is fucking crazy in a beautiful <laughs> way. Um, but it's just... That, it's incredible. And, you know, I, I, I know that you can appreciate that story more um, than people that are not tuned into synchronicities um, because it's just, it's so awe inspiring in, in ways. It's just crazy. And so I, on Tuesday, hopefully if my technology works, I'll get this interview out because this guy reached out to me because you helped my voice get out through Tripoli. Crazy world, Mark. <laughs> well, I'm glad I was able to help facilitate that. And, you know, Travis, I got to give it to you, man. You you have a tremendous uh, voice and a tremendous message. And when I heard that in oh, our initial you. conversation, it resonated me deeply and usually resonated with me deeply. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. And I, I really, you know, a little bit of like how the sausage is made. I usually, <laughs> you know, put somebody like yourself who you know, no, no offense to you as far as podcasting goes, you're relatively new to it. Low. I'm low on the total. No, no. And that's, absolutely. you know, and that's not, that. you know, that's, that's not me judging a book by its cover too much, but I try to have a little bit of discernment it's reality. and, and, and it's absolutely reality. Yeah. And there's a standard, right? So my, my point in saying that is just that like, usually I would put someone like yourself on Sam's paywall show first that way you would become more familiar with Sam and then the, uh, you know, the show, the big show would go better, hopefully. Right. That's the right, thought. Right. That's the theory, but you knocked it out of the park. The way you dealt with the, the uh, room and the energy, cause Sam and XG and Johnny can be tough. They can roll, <laughs> they can roll with anything, but they can also bring a lot of tangents up and they like to bring, you know, bring things back into the like the main talking points that they hit it's on wild card stuff. It's no, I loved it. I but loved you did it. great. And I was impressed and I was really, you know, grateful that I gave you, um, you know, the opportunity on the big show first. Cause I Straight felt like you, you really deserved it and cool, man. It's, I'm glad to hear you're making connections. I've seen that movie. I'm familiar with that guy's work. So maybe yeah. we can, uh, we can connect him and, and see what other shows he might like to, to go on as well but yeah brother so he's working on the on the in the ufo realm next and in some of the stories like the i won't i won't do a spoiler to my own podcast episode but um the story he shared about the um this church he ran across in arizona is amazing and, and he was familiar with isaac cappy and was very aware of the isaac cappy story um and and so all of this really in crazy ways kind of ties together it's hard to um, disentangle and kind of create a, a narrative structure in some of this, but um, you know, I'm, I'm doing my best to kind of bring it, bring my, my perspective to this work. Um, <clears throat> you're doing your work. Someone like Christopher Knowles. Um, I wanted to mention or kind of get into this aspect of things. What I have been appreciating in the conversations I've been hearing Christopher Knowles bring into these spaces, especially someone like you, you're a little bit younger than I am. I'm, I'm 43 and Christopher is like an elder statesman kind of at this point, <laughs> but he brings this idea of looking at methodology and having rigor, um, you know, not just in. One of the things I know I've heard him mention recently is how much stuff hits the cutting room floor, you know, how much stuff he doesn't include. And one of the things in our first uh, attempt at a conversation I was getting into, I know I heard, I think it was Nick Hinton on, on my family thinks I'm crazy 
talking about synchronicities getting on top of him in a, in a way. And I was beginning to share some of the, the paranoia storms I've experienced. Um, I've gotten into this with Dean Reiner. We've had a great conversation about TIs and all these creepy topics that can, can really lead one to question their own reality. Um, and these conversations help me keep a foot in the, the real world or the consensus reality. And so have you found benefit in Christopher Knowles's work specifically, and maybe just kind of speak to some of the things that you've been taking away from what he is bringing with his secret son Institute. I think that's the right name. Um, but all of his amazing work, um, this helping us, I think, bring more seriousness to this idea of synchromysticism. Yeah, Chris is somebody who I've been intuitively gravitating towards. You know, every time I hear a conversation with him, I'm usually inspired to look in many different directions. So, yeah, I think Chris's work stands uh, in this kind of category of its own. And like I said in that interview I did with him, uh, he is sort of a pillar in the synchromystic um, community, if you can even oh, call yeah. it that. I mean, it's a small group of people, and I'm you know grateful enough to have had two conversations with him on the podcast, and one you know over the phone. <laughs> it's like really brief. <laughs> I don't even remember why now at this point but uh yeah oh because i i got him uh tickets to see sam so that was great um but anyway excellent so anyway so chris is awesome and i think what's cool about people like chris and mike is they're taking aspects of their life and they're showing you how the conspiracies that they research are not just armchair interests. They're things that they have experienced personally. And, you know, Chris is someone who's had, you know, a lot of experiences, way more than I can even remember because I've, you know, it was a while since we had that original conversation where I asked him about, like, the early days. But I'm sure he's done similar interviews on other podcasts. People can go and check his story out. But, you know, Chris is someone who has experience with the music industry and that's always fascinated me and this sort of dark side of that. And, um, I think naturally anytime you go into this reality paradigm shifting research, you're going to become wiser, you know, and that's what is so cool about talking to Chris. It's like, you know, and what, you'll notice when you listen to that second interview I did with him is that I I wasn't going for like any particular conspiracy theory in general, so much as I was kind of trying to have a philosophical discussion with Chris. And I think why that was is because I've had, I've listened to so many of his interviews and, you know, due to the nature of what he talks about, I'm not just going to go and like have him regurgitate everything he said already about the siren, you know, unfortunately, as much as I'd love to do an episode (laughs) on the siren, people can go back and listen to that episode on the higher side chats. They can see his blog posts about it. You know, we don't need to rehash that as much as I'd like to, but really what I wanted to get out of that is the mindset of someone who can find something so prolific as that thread of information because it has so many far-reaching implications and you know that's why guys like chris and mike are constantly kind of keeping up to date with 
the uh, latest news that is coming out, or at least Mike was. It seems like Mike's kind of gravitating away from that, and maybe for good reason. Hence, yeah, also it why like it. Yeah, it's kind of you know the the nature of the the philosophical conversation. So I think Chris is you know like I said very wise for the where um, being kind of worn out. It, going through all these topics, it can kind of wear you down. I don't think I, I don't, I don't say that to like offend him. I think he would take that with pride. Uh, but at the same time, there's a certain risk. And I think you get that when you speak to a guy like Chris, almost like a sense of forewarning, like, Hey, you can go down this yes. road, but uh, this is what I've found. Maybe you should take what I have to say about it and and do your own research at your own risk, right? He's what? not like and he's it, not like waving the flag, like, "Hey, everybody, jump down yeah. this rabbit hole." Like <laughs> he's kind of like you. You get into the rabbit hole, and Chris is at the entrance, like smoking a pipe. Like, you sure you want to go any further? <laughs> well, absolutely. And that one of the biggest biggest red flags um, in terms of what people can experience is an area that. I, I've heard, you know, Chris say he really won't kind of go there. Um, and I totally respect that. If, if, and when I get a chance to interview him myself, would, I would not go there because it's um, Tracy Twyman and what, what she experienced, you know, I mentioned Isaac Cappy um, earlier and, you know, Tracy Twyman, I've got her books now. Um, and I approach the material so cautiously, but the whole idea of like targeted individuals and, and all this stuff that I spoke at length with Dean Reiner about, because he did some of the best work in my opinion on this topic. Um, you know, I feel compelled to get into this because it, it, it touches on the things that are actually happening on the ground here in Missoula. And I've also spoken with Jason Horsley, another amazing uh, so kind of synchro mystic guy that, that really has a lot of warnings for people like uh, Jason Horsley's warning is don't just create a second matrix and find more reasons to sit in front of a screen and watch for like satanic Illuminati symbolism. You know, Chris is like, Hey, just even mentioning Satanism is kind of stupid. Cause it's probably more like a Mithraic, like old world kind of cult, you know? Right. Um, and by the way, um, this is not, not real. If you're starting to engage with the, the, the paranormal, you know, if you're starting to even look at the idea of synchronicity or targeted individual, it seems to be like this thing that looks back at you. And I've heard Chris, I think it was with you possibly talking about this trickster sentiment he feels from it. Um, and that it fucks with you. And, and this might be where I come from in terms of like the paranoia storm um, and how uh, piling on synchronicities can, can have this cumulative disorientation effect that people can get really spun out of. Um, and, and Chris, and, and I think in a Patreon uh, release or something, he had this like different phases of synchronicity. So a causal coincidence with meaning, you know, a causal with highly symbolic. I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head, all the definitions, but I really appreciated something to give me a metric to kind of gauge where I'm at with this thing fucking with me um, because you can get fucked with and you have to be aware of that if you're engaging with this material. Agreed. Yeah. And I think that's something Nick Hinton kind of relayed. Um, and he's someone who's almost, I think we're the same age. Um, and Nick is kind of a inspiration for me. Cause I remember learning about Nick uh, through tinfoil hat. And yeah, yeah. being really impressed by several of his interviews and just being very inspired. Like, hey, here's someone who's my age, who's putting out a book, who's doing podcast interviews. And to my knowledge, he got himself out there 
through Twitter and like getting Tripoli's attention through Twitter. Uh, I guess Tripoli saw him there and, and booked him on the show. This was before I was the booker. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's kind of disheartening. I've had a couple conversations with Nick off the air and what I've learned. And, you know, obviously I, I can't speak on Take, any of yeah. his personal experiences. That's his story to tell. But I understand why he's taken a sort of step back from the maybe approach people listening might expect. You know, this kind of Sherlock Holmes, boots-on-the-ground detective work can be really uh, dangerous. And and I think, you know, not in, like, the way you might expect from popular culture's depiction of this kind of conspiracy stuff. I I think what really is the... The scariest part is how this stuff can affect you on a spiritual or paranormal metaphysical level. I mean, people talk about men in black and whatnot after having uh, those kind of experiences. But think about it from the angle of like, you know, you dig into the wrong set of information, not wrong in the sense that there's something incorrect about it, but wrong, like (laughs) as far as you and your fate, you know, you made the wrong move. Right. And that's definitely a potential for people to step into, you know, a situation, unfortunately, where maybe they're not prepared for the consequences of their actions. I think that's really real when you talk about the kind of real journalism that's required to actually fight these corrupt organizations. I think there's a level of um, covert action that needs to be applied and that may or may not be happening. Uh, But I think, you know, as far as, you know, cases like (laughs) where you're having sleep paralysis events or maybe having a weird paranormal event happen after you look into some information it makes you wonder like oh wow are these groups like in cahoots with some sort of occult force uh and and if so is the occult force really like is that the real enemy and these people are just being used as a weapon or is it like that people are the enemy and they're using a cult forces as a weapon i mean or is it a little bit of both i I think that's kind of where and again i don't want to speak on nick's personal experiences but i think that's where he kind of uh had an experience and said like i'm i don't think i should keep going down this road or at least this one thread you know yeah well you know at, at the end of the day part of the the big question is what is the role of our own consciousness um because of sort of the quantum uh impact of the observer principle where you know hey i'm a wavelength or no i'm a particle um so the the role of us co-creating this reality and the way that we might have been hijacked by occult forces whether it's like the idea of the watiko or wetico or um which is a topic that's fascinating or, or other ideas um, but the the way things play out on the ground here, I mean, another thing that that you mentioned uh, when we first had a conversation, I mean, you look at this map and you say council grows, you know, and and this is a place I go to all the time with my dog, like I mentioned. Well, within the last couple of weeks, this and I'm not, I won't get into all of the details now because this isn't maybe the time and the place, but the way that I'm applying synchronistic detective work on the ground, there's a missing person case. And now there's new information about something that happened out 
at Council Groves on July 2nd. And I'm, I'm having to kind of wrap my head around the fact that, okay, you know, here's another thing that's just sort of popping up. And, um, you know, I, I write a pretty much daily blog post. I mean, I might miss a day every once in a while, but um, I've been writing about some, some groups that are supposedly helping victims of human trafficking. Um, you know, quote unquote, I'm giving the air quotes for the podcast audience, but it's like, uh, there are some really worrisome things starting to happen. And one of them is that I basically knocked on the door. <clears throat> I go into this building. It's a historic building address is one, one, one. Um, I'm very into one, one, ones and eleven 11s and all this stuff. I have a patch on my freaking backpack that says eleven eleven, And so I'm like, huh, this is interesting. Uh, I call the the mother of the missing woman and talk to her. So I get some critical information just right before knocking on the door, get this guy answers the door, not expecting some citizen journalists like face to face. And he lies to me, you know, from what I understand in terms of the information I have, he misrepresents from, you know, again, what I'm understanding about the situation, his role in actually going out and searching for this missing woman. And so now I'm like, what is going on here? Um, and, and it's interesting if you start thinking about um, hiding in plain sight, you know, to get away from maybe like the local stuff where there's more dire implications. You know, you think about um, ostensible Christian organizations and like someone like Laura Silsby, who's going to Haiti, you know, to save, quote unquote, again, the air quotes, um, 34 children. And she gets busted because some of them actually have parents in Haiti, you know, um, and this is under some charitable organization and she gets, you know, saved by a lawyer that's connected to, uh, Hillary. I mean, these are the kind of things I think that people don't necessarily understand might be happening. Um, groups that are there in your face helping, maybe they don't always do the most helpful things with the federal funding or the state funding or the charitable donations. Um, and that's one of the things that I'm looking into here. Um, in terms of some of the stuff that you've done boots on the ground, you know, getting actually out to these like rivers, you know, the Susquehanna river and um, looking into like, I think in terms of your own history and heritage, um, what are some of the ways that you've applied synchronistic work uh, to like that boots on the ground mentality? Is it more like your, your own background and just the natural landscapes? I know you're very much into rocks and, and the geology and that kind of stuff, but what are some of the ways you've applied those things in your own work? Mm. Right. So I ramble a lot. And no, then you have no, to no. Just respond. No, thank you. No, no, no. I, I'm, I'm just kind of pausing to think about where I should start because it is, it, it's, it's interesting because the reason why I gravitated towards Michael Wan and Chris Knowles is because I think I had instinctively been living with this mindset and I didn't really realize it. You know, I didn't really realize yeah. why I was so suspicious, why I was so inquisitive why my curiosity was leading me in the direction that it did always being fascinated with nature sort of interested in politics but not in a sense like uh <laughs> that i was going to get out and do something about it just more to understand uh why people were doing what they were doing um but back to your question <laughs> i think you know skull and bones was really what pushed me uh, because when Interesting. I, yeah, because when I left college, I dropped out and I got a job as a Chinese food delivery guy. Um, and I was doing that for a while. And when I was in college, the only thing I enjoyed doing was going to the park in between classes. And 
this park happened to be the New Haven Green, right? Which is right on Yale's campus. And two blocks away was the Skull and Bones tomb, or is. It's still there. Oh, yeah. I've seen pictures of that. Interesting. So, you know, being the kind of kid that I was and the guy that I am, I would sit in the park and I would read books and I would smoke and smoke some weed and just kind of hang out and read the books that I was interested in. A lot of them had to do with like ancient civilizations and metaphysics and uh, the secret history of the world is a big book. I always mentioned that I was kind of reading at that point in my life, but I didn't quite finish it until a few years later. Uh, but, and then Carlos Castaneda's books and like Marco, Michael Harner's uh way of the shaman was another big one so all of these kind of things were in my mind but i wasn't i had sort of like the add if you will of my generation so i could never like really just like focus long enough (laughs) to get through a book but i liked you know smoking and and just kind of like picking through different sections of books and figuring things out for myself so while i was doing that one day i also happened to be wearing a t-shirt that said uh sure you can trust the government just ask an indian or something to that effect and it had a picture of sitting bull on it and uh-huh. when a gentleman by the name of amos saw that he you know figured he'd strike up a conversation with me because he happened to be pueblo native american from arizona so there was the kind of synchronicity i guess really the most profound huh. first synchronicity that kind of kicked off everything like him being a native yeah. american and me wearing that shirt on that day when i was sitting there smoking so he he know he knew at least i'd you know entertain some of the things that he was interested in i wasn't your average white boy so to speak in his <laughs> eyes so we started you know kicking it and talking and every, i really like enjoyed learning stuff from him and he told me a lot about himself. I mean, more than I can get into here, but he, you know, long story short, he had left Arizona after being released from prison. I never understood why he was arrested. He never told me. I assumed it wasn't anything violent, but he felt like he had to right his wrongs in the eyes of his family, his lineage, his tribe, because he had basically done a wrong and the way he had dishonor. Yeah, the way he had chose to do that was by following up on this thing he had heard, I think, while he was in prison or before he'd gotten into prison about Skull and Bones and how Prescott Bush had stolen Geronimo's grave, uh, oh, you know, ripped his the bones, uh, yeah, right? stole the bones from his grave, grave robbers, oh, that's you know, right, that's right, brought it to the tomb in New Haven, which synchronistically a block away is the <laughs> Yale Native American, you know, relations building, which is just a joke that, you know, Geronimo's, you know, this is one of the most legendary people uh, in American history. He was a fierce warrior who said that like bullets would like pass through him, you know, and people were so afraid of him that uh, in World War One, you know, when they're afraid to jump out of planes, they would say, well, if you if you say the name Geronimo, that'll give you courage. Oh, so that's why that's... people jump, you know, and they go Geronimo yeah. when they jump. Right. That's that comes from the military and Prescott Bush being a member of Skull and Bones, had probably heard the legend of Geronimo, knew that he was buried in Fort Sill in Oklahoma, where he was probably, you know, uh, 
drafted to be in. I don't know how the military works, but you know what I'm saying? So Prescott yeah. robbed the grave, took his skull and bones back to skull and bones and used them for whatever ritual weirdness that they use it for. And so long story short, Amos made it his mission to come to this place and pray for his ancestor. You know, he's oh, wow. loosely connected to Geronimo through blood and he felt like, you know, the best way he could do that would be to, you know, reinvent his life here and, you know, honor Geronimo's spirit by praying to him. And that's kind of where my learning came in because I really tried to understand what he meant by that. And, you know, one day he was like, well, just come with me. So I go with them to stand in front of the skull and bones tomb. And I'm thinking like, what are we going to like break in dude? Like he's like, no man, we don't need to break in. <laughs> you know, that's not yeah. necessary. I don't need to steal the, the skull and bones. They'll give it back to us one day. They'll give it back mm -hmm. to me one day. And he's like, and this is how, so we, we go and we stand on high street right in front of the tomb. And he's like, stand right there. He kind of steps a couple feet away from me. And he screams at the top of his lungs, Geronimo! Like as I mean, so loud. This it, it really just like the the hairs on the back of my neck stood up. And uh, wow! And you know that was kind of like his prayer. And he told me he did that you know periodically on special days. Some day, like it, it was kind of a, a process. Every day he would do it um, when he arrived, and then eventually. I think they interviewed him in the newspaper. I actually have a picture of him. It's my kind of way of remembering him. Uh, I have a picture of him from the newspaper when they did a story about him kind of doing that. And, wow, you know, periodically that's... he, he kind of like stopped doing it every day and started doing it just every so on. But it was every time he would do it, it would be at noon and he would connect with the creator and pray for Geronimo in that way. And, uh, and alongside of, you know, that experience, there's another really interesting experience that had uh, a connection to a feather, but I'll pause and let you comment before I go into that. Oh, that, that is a amazing, beautiful story. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll mention something just really quickly, and then I want to hear about the feather because one of the things that popped up in my head, um, as I've been doing some investigative work out here, just kind of in, in terms of the historical um, background of the, uh, the Naval, was it the Naval training station in Farragut, um, in Idaho. And, and so Farragut was the name of an admiral. And I didn't realize this until I was kind of started looking into this damn the torpedoes, it, the name of a great Tom Petty album. And Tom Petty was in a movie with Kevin Costner, which makes me think of Michael Wan. Um, but damn the torpedoes was a phrase that Farragut is, is became famous for because in the, uh, there was this, I think civil war battle where he went through this canal, even though there was um, there was mines and a ship ahead of him, one of his like kind of scout ships hit a mine and sunk. But he was like, damn the torpedoes, because the mines were referred to as torpedoes back then. Um, so I just wanted to share that little story. It's when you when you look into phrases or or common usage of, of a term like that, there's actually pretty fascinating history. Um, and there could be something there for someone that's looking into their own background or just curious about history. So, huh. Now, now tell me about this feather. I want to hear about the feather. So, and I agree. I think, you know, there are probably uh, 
many different things that we can pull apart like that. Like you said, <laughs> Geronimo, and then the phrase you just referenced there, damn the torpedoes. Yeah, for sure. I think that's just the nature of how, you know, another one that's maybe more gruesome was uh, something that Amos taught me, the origin of the word picnic. Now, this, I don't know how true really? this is. You know, this is street knowledge, we'll say. But I do believe the what he's referencing historically did happen. I just don't know if this is the exact where the term comes from but people you know if you find corroborating information email me about it i'd love to know but you know without saying the racial slur the the word picnic has to do with pick a and then i'll let you fill in the gotcha. blank there yeah and uh, the yep, idea yep. was that these picnics were had when people were being auctioned off or being kicked off of certain land you know native americans you know were kind of Basically, they they signed these treaties, and when they did, they didn't realize that that meant that they were not allowed to be on the land anymore. I think most of them assumed, at least in some parts of New England that I've researched, a lot of them assumed that, you know, they would they were allowing the colonists to also be there when the colonists were kind of assuming that they knew that you know you, you once you sign this over, it's ours, not yours. So that led to some conflicts and. You know, a lot of people talk about, well, African-Americans, Native Americans, there's like a, a melding and there's like some discrepancies on whether or not like all of the Africans were here before or, you know, what's because there's all kinds of interesting history there about the, you know, great civilizations of yeah. Africa and how they could have colonized the new world way ahead of anyone else. Mm -hmm. um, but that's a whole nother conversation. The point yeah. I'm trying to make is that unfortunately a lot of native americans were sold into slavery or you know became slaves um and part of that was this really gruesome thing where yeah they would have these picnics and people kind of considered it entertainment and they would brutalize these people to get them to obey and uh you know one of the things they would do is like cut open a pregnant woman's stomach and like kick the baby around you know and that's oh, the kind Lord. of thing that Amos told me happened on that very park that we were standing on you know like this is the history wow. of this colony that we were standing on and that you know learning that at a young age really I think just shocked me and just really upset me to the core because I had always listened to like underground rap music and rap music and really sympathized with like impoverished communities and and like i felt like i wasn't too far away from that even though i did grow up with you know some parents who both had jobs and worked really hard to make sure my sister and i made you know made our way through school and all that and were well fed and all that so you know i wasn't so deep into that kind of on the fringe of it we'll say <laughs> more so now that the middle class is totally gone but right, right. either way you know my point is i really forged sort of vow when i had that i call it a mentorship with amos a vow to myself that like there's a reason why i met amos you know mm -hmm. uh not just to stand up for people like you know him and his community but also everybody you know because we're all fighting this empire and we can see it and i saw it with native americans in the most bleak and 
uh, obvious ways where their whole culture has been turned upside down and destroyed. Uh, and I think that needs to be reconciled. And I don't come from this uh, approach as like a social justice warrior. I think that's weaponized. You know, they've weaponized race. They've weaponized this sort of thing. I think it needs to come from the heart and accepting that all of us are human beings here sharing, you know, one earth, one breath, one love, one heart. And that's, you know, the mission that I sort of was the torch that was passed from Amos to I. And that's kind of why I dropped out of college, you know, because I saw the wow, the, wow. the truth of what was going on there uh, with Yale University. And I wasn't a student at Yale, you know. I was yeah, just yeah. On, I was a community college student uh, at a college nearby, like on the same campus, pretty much. But I realized there, like, I didn't want to be a part of the system, you know. And I had friends who were kind of naively co- uh, convincing me that I could like. Uh, I forget the word that it what they used, but absolve, I think, my student loans. So I, oh, I, yeah. I ended up having to pay off my student loans, which weren't that much. <laughs> but that was kind of in the back of my mind. And I learned about things like crystals at that point in my life. And crystals really, you know, having them really changed my energy, you know, really huh. allowed for a different, a healthier frequency that I just hadn't experienced yet. Just being an average Mm -hmm. person, um, you know, all these healing modalities that we kind of think of as like, Oh yeah, no shit. That's how people heal themselves these days when they're kind of awake like that, all of that, I was kind of integrating it in a way that felt totally anachronistic to everybody around me, you know, just having Mm -hmm. a crystal necklace on turned heads and eventually it became a little more fashionable. And I actually got like some of my friends would, would actually like ask to buy some of the necklaces that I would (laughs) make, but just decisions like that eventually pushed me to even be more fringe and, and kind of radical and, and it wasn't until I found like the podcasting world that I realized like, oh, wow, there are, are actually a lot of people that are kind of seeing the world that I'm seeing. It's just I had been kind of only experiencing this small little Yale microcosm and, and trying right. to figure out like the corruption in there. And, you know, like I said, job to job to job. One of the jobs that I eventually got was delivering bread for a bakery that had a bunch of, or still does, uh, has a bunch of contracts with Yale. So I would deliver, you know, bread and pastries <laughs> through the buildings and whatnot. And that's where I really kind of felt like, oh, okay, this is like, I'm kind of supposed to be looking into this stuff. Cause it's, it wasn't just like, you know, any old buildings I would go into. I, like, I got a tour of the original Wolf's Head Lodge. I got a tour of uh, cool. George W. H. W. Bush's home in New Haven, which is oh, now wow. coincidentally the economics building uh, for Yale. Uh, go figure. Uh, and, you know, those are the kind of experiences where I was like, oh, wow, like this is not accidental that someone with this mindset gets put in these places so all of that really kind of motivated me to um i don't know i mean i really didn't know what to do how to get involved with this and i i'm really grateful that you know sam had me on his show but i think really inspired uh you know 
<laughs> it inspired me to to continue going against the grain, which is why I, you know, quit my job uh, and did this podcasting thing full time, you know, and that's it's, so inspirational. It's worked I love out, that. you know, it's, it's not a, it's not a hundred thousand dollars a year or anything crazy like that. It's, you know, it's very, it's probably less than what I was making at some of the jobs I described, but it's something and that's, it, that's allowing for a hyper connectivity. Whereas yeah, before, you're, you're in alignment yeah. with your purpose. Well, that's awesome. I, I think, yeah, I think it's, you know, it's nice to, it's nice to say that and to think that, but I don't know if we're ever like totally in alignment with our purpose, or at least maybe I'm just not secure saying that yet about this. I think I, I enjoy podcasting and I'm going to do it. Uh, and I'm going to continue to explore this artwork, but I don't know. I feel like the purpose is greater than the medium. Right, right. Well, and you know, there's, there's never, I mean, if anyone is ever a hundred percent satisfied with what they're doing, then uh, it takes a little bit of the fun, you know, to not have some of that tension and stress uh, driving things. And so, um, yeah, I don't, unless you're a bodhisattva that's really found some kind of total bliss, which sounds boring to me. Like, I don't, I don't really want to be in total bliss and a hundred percent just completely satisfied with things because there's just way too much as I see in my own backyard. I mean, what, one of the things that, um, that it, it's a tricky thing that I'd like you to speak to a bit is just the role of technology. Um, I'm going to be talking to someone later this week about um, some of the controversy that's erupted, um, really driven by Allison McDowell, unfortunately, although I love her research, I don't love divisiveness and um, looking at sort of cryptocurrencies as this purist, um, you can't engage at all. You know, I've at some point would like to be on Rockfin um, if that makes sense and to get, you know, I'm looking at monetizing my own content. Um, and it's a difficult thing. Locally, I can't get anyone to advertise on my podcast because I'm opposing the, the local power structure. And they're just like, ah, no, we don't want to expose ourselves to that kind of retaliation. So um, I guess maybe you know, speak a little bit to just how you see technology, um, especially since you know I've seen Michael Wan um, or I've heard him talk about that sort of conscious pullback from technology. Partly in speaking to this like concern that things are moving into this, you know, crypto sort of metaverse space. And, you know, I've got kids. I worry about my kids being groomed by the screen. Um, so I, I share a lot of Allison McDowell's concerns. You know, I don't want to discount um, what she's bringing into this conversation. But I also really value Derek Bros and Ryan Christian and Jason Burmas. And, and the Rockfin platform has provided independence because I am happily paying $9.99 a month um, to get access to all this great content. Um, you know, I pay, I think I might want to get a spirit animal. So I mean, I might have to start um, following you, Mark, um, because I want a spirit animal name <laughs> and to get uh, some of your premium content. Um, and, you know, I also pay Patreon for Monica Perez and Brad Binkley and for Christopher Knowles. And, and so I, I guess speak to just some of this challenge with monetizing content with some of the purest uh, divisiveness that's come from the anti-crypto uh, folks, um, whatever you feel comfortable responding to in that sort of mess of uh, stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to first say on the point that you made early, uh, I guess maybe a response to what I was saying. Yeah. I think what's boring about the Bodhisattva in Bliss is like, where where's <laughs> the practicality in that? What excites me is like, if you were a Bodhisattva 
in bliss and then you went and became like the Sherlock Holmes that you are Travis I mean you're uh, like a mix yeah. I, I don't want to pin you as Sherlock <laughs> Holmes you're more like Sherlock Holmes and like you know fight the power kind of like activist <laughs> rolled Thank into you. one absolutely um, but I think that that's the kind of what I would see the value in doing both and yeah you know yeah. I think that's why you know Sam asked me to do more than just book his zero podcast because he saw that there's a sort of a conspiracy that leads you to spirituality but then there's also a spirituality that leads you to conspiracy and I think that's yeah. where where I come from is like I was I was always aware of the conspiracy but it wasn't until spirituality really came into my life that I realize like there's a reason to understand all of these conspiracies and not just be like worried about them or let them def make you feel defeated like you can be empowered by having greater knowledge of the world around you and um you know on the point of rockfin being connected to cryptocurrency i am really of the philosophy of like use whatever you can to yeah. make a dollar as long as it's not hurting anybody. And, uh, you know, I don't see crypto as any different than the money systems that we already use. Um, maybe I sound like an idiot to those who are probably like way informed into crypto, but at the same time, I think anybody who's tr like trying to scare people away from using uh, something that can maybe potentially be a positive thing is just they're just not someone you should listen to I, I think there's there's a certain philosophy of like these things are tools you can either use them you know for good or bad it's really up to you I think that same argument applies to any technology so it's yeah. really up to the person engaging with the platform what they're going to do with it and i think that if you are in the mindset of creating love and light and truth and greater harmony with the the you know the actual reality not this arg that they've uh, <laughs> overlaid on top of it then yeah. ultimately you know any system that you're in that's organic is going to bring you to the top when you have mm -hmm. these systems that are artificial and are controlled by these matrix sort of folks, you know, then yeah, the algorithm's not going to show you anything true. It's going to show you cat videos and other things that are going to keep <laughs> you, you know, smiling long enough to, you know, get you to go to sleep and then back to work the next morning, you know, and, and if you wake up, you might do what I did and quit your job and try to, you know, make a living <laughs> or drop out of college and, and try to make a living on, you know, your own gumption. So I think yeah. that's that's really just like <clears throat> any anywhere you go, you're going to come across that sort of moral dilemma. And I think anybody who's telling other people how to live morally is really just missing the point like you know they're well they're, they're supposed to be you know leading by example and if they want to lead by example by doing that that's fine but i don't think you know calling derek bros a pedophile <laughs> is a good way to is a good way to do oh, that so i don't I, I don't mean to get into the personal beefs but i do know a thing or two about 
certain people that you mentioned and i just yeah i don't think that that's you know i think for the listeners out there it's if anything it's insulting to them to to think that they can't discriminate themselves who uh, they should be listening to. It's like, you know, I've had podcasters that I've beefed with, but I don't need to go on my show and tell people not to listen to their shows because I think they're smart enough to figure out, like, who, who's the, who's at fault, you know, and who's in yeah, the wrong. It, absolutely. And, and this is, you know, without trying to sort of descend into, like, high school level, like, drama antics, this is an information war, and there are agents, and there are, you know, well poisoners, and, um, you know, opposition control, and honeypots, and I mean, we just have such a host of potential issues. If you're not talking face-to-face with the person, um, you do run all kinds of risks, and it's interesting because when I um, have a chance later this week to, to have this, this other conversation, one of the things I might get into is, you know, Allison referenced another researcher, Steffers, um, on her uh, higher side chat appearance. And Steffers writes for a, a blog called Peace of Mindful, I think is the, the name of it. And that's originated with a guy named Mark Tokarski, who is part of the Montana blogosphere from you know many, many years ago. And so I know him really well. I know he's a real person, but he kind of got sucked into this like Miles Mathis, Miles Mathis, everything is fake kind of world. Um, and it, it, I just find this so fascinating, especially when there's like connections to someone that I know pretty directly and have had conversations with. Um, and I, I uh, interviewed Allison, also love her research. Um, and again, don't want to get into any of that, the personal stuff, but um, I like what Christopher Knowles said about a technology being benign. Um, and going back a little bit more to the conspiracy spirituality stuff, I just referenced what Sam said, you know, how conspiracy turns this or like moves into spirituality. I referenced that with someone because I'm so interested in looking at local alliances between church congregations and conspiracy groups. If there's, there's not really conspiracy groups in our town, but you know, I'm doing the higher side chat meetups enough. So I've met a couple new people through doing that. And I see this, this big opportunity to make more connections and alliances. And I really love, again, Sam talking about shapeshifter Jesus. I don't know if he understands how beneficial that is for people that have that allergy to Christianese and some of that kind of Jesus Christian stuff, especially as I start seeing more like, you know, co-opting of the the QAnon and, and trying to see like Republicans taking over this energy of this building. Um, I, I'm really interested locally in trying to build alliances and keep some of these uh, church groups that I've reached out to because of local politics, you know, local necessity, you know, I really don't want them to get sucked into these national movements again and, 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 and to have that energy directed and wasted because um, so much of what needs to happen, I think is hyper local in your own backyard where you can meet with people in person. And so, you know, they're not some like weird agent or, you know, person that they're not representing themselves to be. Um, and, and so I, I think the more people get like stuck in national movements and trying to make national things happen and getting us out of this shit by voting for better people. You know, we, we, we don't have those voting options for better people. We have corruption from like national state, local city, County. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty corrupt. So um, I don't know if there's really a question in any of that there, Mark, but if there's something in, in that, that you wanted to respond to um, it's, uh, it's just some of the stuff that I've been thinking about. Yeah, I mean, I definitely can see what you mean. I, I mean, not that there wasn't anything to respond to there, but I, I don't know if I'm equipped to. I mean, I'd just be kind of screaming in agreement, as Sam likes to say. But I think the uh, 
Yeah, I think the church group conspiracy, uh, you know, meetups, you could definitely maybe find some like minds there. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, where I where I live, it's 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 not really that. I think the the atmosphere is a little different with that. Yeah. So yeah. It, that might not be the same approach. Um, it'd be tough where I live. I mean, I live somewhere where half the year, you know, people aren't even in the town because it's one of these places where you know people have beach houses and then there's people who you know live in florida during cold months so snowbirds yeah so it's you know and and a lot of people are at a certain age demographic too in my town um that is like elderly (laughs) i would i would assume (laughs) it's pretty high just based on traffic but uh, but yeah i don't know i think i think that's a problem that i have to deal with in the community that i'm in is like do i even want to partake in this community or would it would it be more wise for me to relocate to a place where there are there's a higher potential for like minds or even a higher potential for just a better quality of life because like as much as i love my hometown um, it's in the middle of what I call the megalopolis and yeah, not yeah. on the good side of the highway either. So <laughs> in case <laughs> well, anything you know, that, does happen. That's very interesting um, to, to kind of, to share that, that perspective. And I really appreciate you, you know, finding that way to, to respond to some of my rambling, you know, non-question questioning, because um, w- the way that I've been able to see opportunity is, is I think maybe unique to this topography right here in this Valley. Um, and the fact that I've put um, I've lived here for 22 years and this documentary that we recently released um, is about this, like, you know, use of public money, which is sort of catnip to conservatives. I came from a progressive mindset back in the day. I, I actually teared up when Obama came and spoke in Missoula in 2008. I'm embarrassed now to, to think about that, but you know, there's tears in my eyes. He was going to stop the wars, Mark. And, uh, and so I've had this chance to show a little portion of this documentary. And one of the most fascinating responses came from a older white conservative guy who lives out in the County. Um, a lot of the people that were making public comment that were part of our documentary were younger, uh, hipster progressive, maybe looking people, even though that doesn't describe their politics and they were sort of within the city limits. And so we've got the County versus city kind of, you know, rural urban divide here in our little Valley. And after the the hour and a half of the film that he saw, it's like a three-part series, um, he turned to the filmmaker and apologized to him for for assuming his politics, for abandoning the city, for not even going downtown anymore, not going to city council meetings. He just lived out in the county and kind of rode off the city. And it was really amazing to see this guy's kind of assumptions about who these people were and what they believed in challenged because of this documentary. Um, and so maybe I would give you a challenge, Mark. Um, you know, <laughs> I love talking to older people. I'm just fascinated by that. But um, who knows what might actually be out there in your own backyard? But I certainly respect your knowing your own backyard better than I do. Um, I don't have a map up, so I can't uh, kind of pick a map and try and synchronistically pinpoint something going on in your neck of the woods but um it is a challenge i think locally to to find some support are are there like places you like to to go like businesses that have been uh, kicking ass in the last two years in terms of standing up for for things um for their own personal sovereignty their own ability to to try and maintain a business um are there anything like that that you can see uh, supporting in your own in your own neck of the woods 
Sadly, no. Um, oh. Maybe that's <laughs> maybe that's just because I'm not like out there enough. I think there's, you know, there's a, a gentleman who lives kind of on the other side of the state who invites me to um, these sort of freedom uh, get-togethers that I yeah. unfortunately haven't been able to get to. So it seems like on the board, like the northern side where, you know, people are closer to Massachusetts and then maybe Rhode Island, that side. But yeah. where I live, it's a lot of people that are commuting to the city, um, mm-hmm. to New York City. Do they call it like a bedroom community where it's like they, they commute into the urban core and, and live sort of on the suburban outskirts? Well, I'm not that close to New York City, so it's really, yeah. you know, it's a lot of people who maybe retired from gotcha, a job gotcha. where they were closer to the city, you know, that kind of thing. Or even yeah. just, you know, like for a time, my mom, you know, she commuted into um, not the city, but Stamford, which is pretty close mm-hmm. and kind of equally uh, financially motivated or financially geared, like it's a big right. financial area. But anyways... I don't know. I mean, I you're definitely challenging me with this question because I haven't. I'm not really the most like active guy with anything anymore because unfortunately, a lot of the people that I did kind of gravitate towards changed their tune with the Isn't pandemic. That weird? You know, f- oh, for example, so hard. farmers markets and you know people yeah. in those communities. Even though I was able to get along with them they definitely didn't see eye to eye to me, with me on conspiracies right. or politics or anything like that. But we were all able to get along because there wasn't like a social stigma on my face that they can point to and say, <laughs> get out of here, Mark, you're endangering us with your philosophy, you know? And I know, and, I know. And it's, you know, that's, it's sad, but at the same time, there were a couple farms that, were a part of the farmer's market that I visited outside of the farmer's market. And they were very cool and on the same page as me, even some that were like even further. Like I started hanging out in 2020 with this farm that, you know, was run by a family of flat earthers. God bless them. They were so kind to me. (laughs) Uh, I didn't really see eye to eye with them on that completely but i was very open to it and i talked to them about it several different times and the you know (laughs) the farm was a beautiful place i was really grateful to work there and learn all kinds of different things from them but you know it's uh it's the kind of thing where maybe it's the local politics maybe it's just the nature of the way connecticut is as a state it's kind of geared towards hartford new haven and new york city uh, mm-hmm. obviously Greenwich is a big community, uh, like one of the wealthiest in the whole country. And that's just because of its proximity to New York. Right. And, it, yep. and it's not in the state of New York because of the taxes and all that. Right. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a interesting tax haven for wealthy people, <laughs> if you want to put it that way. 
Well, and, you know, Montana has become sort of a, a bunker state for wealthy people as well. I mean, that the whole idea of Zoomtown is the fact that when people could work remotely and all these people fleeing San Francisco and some of the California hotspots, um, places like like Montana have become pretty popular. Do you have any any plans on traveling? Because I, I know there's some rumblings. I've heard Sam mention possibly something with Owen Benjamin putting together a show maybe in Idaho. Uh, would you ever travel out to the to the Northwest, Mark, and, and to see some kind of uh, fun? Fun, crazy show that, that Sam and Owen might put together. Do you guys call yourself the Northwest in Montana or are you just the North? I feel like if there's <laughs> ever, if there was a state to be just the North, it would be Montana. I think I'm just uh, claiming the Northwest, just Western Montana, I think would be part of the Cascadia bioregion. And so when you look at some of these um, interesting looks at different ways of kind of categorizing uh, our vast country, um, I think Western Montana would be considered in that bioregion. And so it would be kind of Pacific Northwest. Okay. Um so, but I, I know um, I had a lot of fun talking with Adam and Chud X and Dean uh, because we that we're all up up here, kind of in the in the vicinity. But it's funny when you go out west, um, you know, our side of the state is like two Connecticut's away. So everything is so much more condensed in the uh, eastern part of the st- eastern part of the country. Yeah, well, um, that's why I was able to go and visit Mike. You know, a week or so right. ago in Pennsylvania, it was only like a three hour drive. Uh, but yeah, I, I kind of just ride by the seat of my pants with those <laughs> kind of plans. Um, I wish I was a little more long-term or able to do long-term plans. Cause like the Grimerica show meetups, um, Joe Roop is going this February. Oh, this month actually. And, uh, he, he wanted me to go. He was like, Oh, you should go brother. And it it was like six, seven months ago when he said that, and I never did anything about it. And here we are too late. So it's so hard to plan six, eight months ahead. I know the Grimerica guys are going to be in my neck of the woods. I think in June, um, they're even going to be at Quinn's hot Springs. I think doing, looking at um, some of the geological stuff with the, just the great, you know, glacial Lake Missoula and then all the water that flowed West. There's some really interesting stuff um, just in terms of topography. If you ever do get a chance to come out here, uh, man, there's some really fascinating things well, and, geologically. And I do want to. I should have got around a little quicker yeah. to say on that. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not not against it. It's just with the car that I drive right now, uh, not really possible. So, folks, if the sign up for the Patreon. <laughs> Yeah, sign up for the Patreon. Absolutely. Find ways to support content creators because we do a lot of this work uh, and the compensation is not commensurate, I think, with the actual hours put in. Um, well, I, I think this might be a good place to kind of look at sort of wrapping it up um, with a with a hearty invitation to you to if you ever come to the Northwest, we've got to connect um, yeah. and walk walk the river. I'll show you some things. Maybe we'll uh, get ourselves in some Actually, trouble have a, a old friend. I mean, I don't want to, he's a guy, so I don't want to say he's an ex friend, but we don't really, we're not in touch anymore, but yeah. synchronistically, he just moved to Montana. I saw that on Ooh. Instagram and I was like, Oh, who do I know in Montana? Travis, <laughs> you should put him, put him in contact with me. Oh, I know he talking. wouldn't, he wouldn't, he wouldn't, he wouldn't answer. That's why I said he's an ex friend, <laughs> but he wouldn't answer. That's the thing. You know, my family thinks I'm crazy. A lot of my friends think I'm crazy too. After uh, the whole COVID thing and just just being kind of an agitator. I've, I've always had that kind of instigator sense of humor. So <laughs> when I find out somebody's not hip to conspiracies, sometimes I'll like just rub it in their face when I have a chance. And that was a yeah, lot how- easier to do <laughs> before the pandemic. 
because uh, it yeah. wasn't such a sore spot, but. <laughs> You know, and I'll maybe leave it on this. It's um, It's been so tough and I've really sought out trying to find new people because I've had the same experience. Like people I knew really well. I mean, it was like they just flipped and, and turned on me and I had like, you know, done a decent amount of work with my own sort of familial understanding. You know, I'd gotten to a better place with my own pops and like, okay, I kind of see where you're coming from dad. Um, but when the, when the pandemic sprung and I realized that Rachel Maddow had sort of like infected his brain and proliferated like a, like a prion disease, you know, and, and it started becoming more about what I was going to do with my own kids. You know, it's really hard to maintain a sense of balance and how you approach things and not let sort of anger and stronger emotions take over um, because I mean, we are in this like spiritual war. Ultimately, you know, I, I talk about information wars and maybe financial wars, but I mean, at the end of the day, it, it so much feels like a pretty serious spiritual undertaking um, to look at what's actually happening in this world and to actually face up to some of the darker elements, even in your own backyard. And I try and maintain empathy for, for some of the people in my own community that are reluctant to look at some of this stuff. Um, because when I did, you know, I ended up trying to bury myself in a Boda box, you know, bottle or box of wine. And, and, and there was a lot of sort of misery that like came with waking up to the darkness, you know, that black pill thing. But um, listening to, to people like you, Mark, you help white pill me because you are on the trail in your own backyard, even if you're not, you know, going out and finding the, the old geezers to chat with. But um, I really draw a lot of inspiration from the conversations you've been putting out there. So um, I really thank you. And other places that people can go to find you, Patreon, um, to be a supporter or a subscriber to your work is one place, but other, other places to, to help support your work. Yeah, thank you. And thanks for having me here. I'm glad we were able to make this happen. Uh, yeah. I don't know if we're going to use the first half hour that we recorded on 2 but yeah, just, you know, life happens. Uh, so but here's the funny, here's the funny thing. I think that means ahead. I, this will actually be the 22nd episode that this ends up going out. Remember you had mentioned when we ah. recorded, like, <laughs> remember that is, that is kind of interesting. So I think this will be episode 22 on my blog or on my podcast, Zoomcron. So, okay. But I interrupted you. Continue. That's all right. No, I love that. So perfect. And, uh, and yeah, I got a lot going on. Something that you're a part of altmediaunited.com. It's a podcast yes. cooperative that I founded. If you're listening to this and you have your own podcast, don't hesitate. Uh, email me. Uh, and get in touch through the website and we will uh we will have you on the cooperative because we're trying to grow the podcast cooperative and it's it's essentially a way for you to not only promote your show in to a new audience but also you know learn uh, collaborate grow your show with other people who are trying to do the same thing Uh, and no no obligation either uh to join other than just being a part of it and uh, yeah, giving and us a exposure. shout out yeah yeah so altmediaunited.com and then if you like what i have to say and you want to hear more of my stories or get the you know information that i'm learning that's what my podcast is about you know just talking about different subjects with different interesting guests like yourself you s- joined me on episode 80 something i think i don't remember what number it was but Folks, I'll go back and, that in the show notes. Yeah, I'll include go, some links. Go and listen to that if you haven't already. That was a great yeah. conversation. And uh, yeah, Chris Knowles was on recently. I just put out an episode with a guy uh, named Josh Bellamy, who's really interesting uh, and has a great podcast. So lots going on, and it's been uh, it's been fun, man. It's been a, a, I'm a little 
tired. I had a lot going on today, but I appreciate you being patient with me and my answers and having me on the show here. And, we did uh, it. We it, did it. It was fun. It happened. Well, I'm, I'm greatly appreciative of you uh, joining me and spending the time. Um, I, I certainly know kind of getting low energy and just kind of extending yourself. And with the amount of content you've put out recently, um, you, you should be a little tired. I mean, you're working hard at doing this. So, so thank you so much, Mark. I'll make sure that all of the relevant links are there for people to follow up on our work. Um, and it's just, it's been a pleasure and a joy. So, but, but stick around. I definitely want to chat with you a bit more um, after we kind of conclude this, but thank you. Thank you. And find ways to support content creators, people. Uh, you, you don't get it if you don't find ways to financially support it. So, All right, there you go. Episode 25 of ZoomCron concluding. My interview with Mystic Mark. Thank you, Mark, for joining me. I'm glad we were able to set that up. It's a challenge sometimes getting things scheduled. You know, um, one of the one of the wonderful challenges actually of a podcaster is it's enjoyable. And as a synchromistic, um, when things don't work out, I can't be upset about it because it ain't my timeline. Um, I don't have control over a lot of stuff, and so I like I like to be able to accept that. Um, it really opens up the world in a much more magical, mystical place. And so I think Mystic Mark would agree. And I'm glad that he joined me to have a nice conversation. All right, next week, um, like I say, probably won't be getting an episode out. We'll see. We'll see. Um, but I will be back the following week for sure. Got some interesting things coming up on some cases I'm looking into um, and my journey tuning. I'm going to continue working on that, doing some fun stuff, having a joyous time as best I can in this mad, mad world. So thank you for tuning in. If you want to get in touch with me, you can reach out at willskink at yahoo.com. That's W-I-L-L-S-K-I-N-K at yahoo.com. And if you want to check out a long documentary that kicks a bunch of ass, Engens Missoula is available for free to watch. You can go to E-N-G-E-N-S-M-I-S-S-O-U-L-A dot com. Thanks for listening.